everybody and welcome back to the show um mike and jad here and today we're joined by our very special guest and long-term friend lola berry from the fearlessly failing podcast lola is a nutritionist and yoga teacher and is currently studying acting and uh um where it's a pleasure to have her on the show would you like to maybe do a quick intro on yourself as well Lols? Oh, throw me on the spot there, Jad. Thanks, legend. Um, I was like, I've had a bit of, I've kind of planned, like, because uh, you guys sent me questions. I was like, I know what I'm going to talk about. And then as you said all these intro things about me, I was like, oh, no, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about failing with that. But as far as um, me, yeah, I'm a bit of a health nerd, but I stuff up with that all the time. Um, and I just love to chase this feeling inside my heart. And that's why I'm studying acting at 35 years old you know I just chase this kind of like dharma this purpose feeling and I love that so um I guess we'll get started kind of straight away with um the the concept of the show so we're exploring how all of our lives are messy at times all of our lives we encounter suffering in some way and so you know, one of the questions we put to our guests is, is how have you experienced suffering in your life? What's a story of struggle or suffering that you'd be willing to share that might be perhaps of benefit to others to hear? How long's a piece of string? Yeah. Like how many stories of suffering and pain? <laughs> Honestly, though, like I was thinking about this today, I was like, I would say in all honesty, I fail more than I succeed in my career, definitely, and I love that. I know that sounds like a really weird thing to say and almost a morbid thing to say, but I think failure and stuffing up brings all these wonderful lessons and you start to understand your values and who you are as a human being. So I kind of look forward to the struggles. I know, yeah, again, I know it sounds morbid, but I thought I could talk because Jad has actually, we've got a very, very long-standing friendship. At primary school, we lived on the same street and so I've probably <laughs> known you since I was probably, what, far out, 12 years old? Oh, I think it was because I was, I would have been in year seven. I, I remember once we tried to figure it out and it was a little depressing how, how long ago it was. But, yeah, you would have, you were really young. I think you would have maybe been grade well, four I'm or five. Well, I'm five years five. younger than that, everyone, just so we <laughs> put that out on the on record. <laughs> I always Let's page that out. Let's get that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Jad has seen me through so many struggles in my life. Obviously, heartbreak. We worked together um, for many years as well. So we'd, he'd see me um, or we'd see each other on a daily basis for probably three or four years. Mm. Um, but I just thinking about this podcast and kind of like giving something to the listener, I think something that I'm really comfortable talking about because it is so familiar to me um, and I've had to spend years working on it and I think other people can relate to it is moving through an eating disorder in my 20s um, and coming out the other side of that. And so when you're in it, like, man, you don't even realise you're in it and 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 so to give a bit of context to where it started, um, I was working in morning TV. I was um, I just moved to Melbourne. I was 23 years old and I remember I'd done this segment on morning TV about um, hydration. Um, and so I wore this really cool yellow dress I'd bought in Byron um, Fruit and Veggie Shop. So I did this segment. I said, oh, thanks so much. What did you like about it? And they said, oh, it was great, but you look really pudgy when you wear yellow. And so I quickly oh. felt really unconfident about my body. Yeah, working in TV as well. And so I was never confident in calling myself a nutritionist. I start calling myself a foodie because I wasn't comfortable in my body and I felt like I was too heavy. And I wasn't, by the way. I was really healthy. I just wasn't skinny. I was just a very healthy girl. And um, 
then I went down the path of really understanding my body and what foods fueled it and what foods didn't necessarily fuel it. I was a bit of a sugar addict. And um, I went on a paleo kind of inspired diet and I lost a lot of weight. And that bit was really healthy, but then I got a bit addicted to that weight loss. And I think I got to the point where I was 47 kilos, which is really light, like super light, didn't get my period, anything like that. I was, I remember I had a work gig and I had to walk upstairs to get to the work gig and I couldn't, like, I couldn't physically do it. Um, so obviously my organs and stuff started to get a bit yuck. It was like the stage right before you'd get chucked in hospital, I imagine. My mum was like, if you don't, she's a nurse, she's like, if you don't eat something, I'll be putting you in hospital myself. Um, and then I kind of came out of it through binge eating and then restricting and then binge eating and then restricting for years. And that's when um, Jad and I were working together. So Jad witnessed a lot of this and the times that I was working with Jad, I didn't have any, I hadn't figured out what I needed to do to really move through that pain and suffering and so you might be able to share here, Jab, but you will have just seen me on a massive roller coaster of real yo-yo dieting. Mm. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember that, Jab? I certainly do remember. So for, for context, Lola and I worked together in a in a health food store at the time, which I, I still still work there. And um and yes, we'd sort of see this transition of Lola kind of, you know, slowly losing weight at the start, then kind of rapidly losing weight, and then then getting kind of, you know, bit where everyone sort of realizes, oh, has she gone a little bit too far or this is getting a little bit obsessive or um, that kind of thing. And then um, and then the sort of yo-yoing sort of happened. And, I mean, the other interesting thing that I observed as sort of more of an outsider to it all was just how horrible often the response was from people around you to that. So, you know, it was always you're getting too skinny and then as soon as you'd start getting back to more of a normal weight, there'd be someone to make some other comment about, oh, she's gaining weight again or she's yo-yoing. You know, we had a number of customers over the years who quite deliberately, I think, asked whether you were pregnant or not, which like everybody knows that's not a question you ask a girl at the start of a pregnancy like can you tell my instagram followers to stop asking yeah. that i can ask that all and when i say no they're like why haven't you frozen your eggs and i'm like it's none of your business actually <laughs> but i but i wish i learned that then when i was at your when i was working i wish i was able to say and that's part of the coming out the other side um and one of the tricks i learned because I learned probably after I started work, ended working with you, Jad, um, I was like, oh, my God, I'm always going to be too skinny for someone and then too fat for someone else. Like, really, like I better friggin' start figuring out what makes me feel healthy and happy. And so I've learned when people say, oh, you look really skinny or, oh, if you put a bit of weight on, I now just say, thanks, I feel good which is more important to me than, and I really don't care about what anyone thinks about the way that I look like. What matters to me is how I feel and how I love myself. But I cut you off, Chad, so sorry. You keep going. Um, I can't remember what I was saying, actually. I think I was just <laughs> going going to go further on with the the, the fact that, you know, that, that you're kind of and, and your body was so open for commentary from complete strangers. And I remember you sharing me a lot of stories at the time because you were, you know, looking for a lot of jobs in in media and in television. And you hear about what a cutthroat world it can be and, and how superficial it can be. And, and you sort of wonder how much of that is just over-exaggerated stories from, you know, from Hollywood movies or from um, tabloids or whatever. But then to hear firsthand some of the overt stuff that was said to you, especially in this day and age of litigation and, you know, in, in a kind of a, a corporate context or something like that, some of the things that were said were just so unreasonable, but you were just like, this is normal. This is the way women get spoken to in this industry. And, you know, literally you'd go to a meeting and people would be like, okay, you need to lose four kilos by next week. And it would be for just a segment on a TV show or something like that. It wasn't like it was just – it blew my mind. What was what was that like for you though as a, as a human and as a woman to kind of have your body completely sort of dissected by complete strangers? It was really hard in my 20s because in my 20s you get your value from people other than yourself or I did anyway. And so I'd go into a meeting and I'd be, yes, totally scrutinised. I remember I was in a meeting and I got told where to get Botox in my face and I was like, oh, my God. And I've been in meetings and I've, 
you know, really been spoken down to about my body shape and, and whatnot. But then you also, I do need to also know, like there have been some frigging incredible humans I've worked with that have had my back and have like really empowered me. Or I've worked with like a wonderful makeup artist that I've then gone out and worked and just felt fierce and confident and brave. So for all the negative stuff, um, there are a few heroes and I'm still mates with them today because I remember how they ha- how they helped me and made me feel when I felt really scrutinised and I'm still scrutinised. Like I'm studying acting and I'm getting told I'm too old to audition for certain things and I'm like, for who? Who am I too old for? Um, that's why I'm kind of really about like just kind of marching to be your own drum and I didn't know that in my 20s. I think Jad will know this. I was always kind of looking for it and fighting for it but it would it, yeah, it, it, the crazy thing is women are mean to women. That's you think, oh, she works in media, it might be a male-dominated industry because usually, not anymore, there's so much equality, but, like, you'd think that there'd be, like, a male head that's making these big calls. It's women that are mean to women from my experience. And I'm like, who the F makes these rules up? Like, so for me, um, it's been a huge journey of self-worth and I wish in my 20s I knew what I know now, but that said, everything happens the way it's meant to happen and for a reason and blah, 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 you know. Lola, I heard something then that's kind of a recurring theme or a point of discussion that Chad and I have had on this podcast is the concept of seeking validation externally and what a fickle road that can be. Yeah, I'm curious, would you say that this difficulty might have been uh, the beginning of exploring seeking, you know, validation and approval, as you were saying, you know, internally? Yeah, I think like Jad will know this about me, like even while I was going through all that food restriction and like I'm talking I did 10-day water fasts and, and you know, then I'd just binge on whatever I could get my hands on. Yeah, I remember one day I, I ate some of Jad's lunch. Do you remember Jad? <laughs> I don't know if he remembers, but I convinced him to share his lunch with me one day. I think that was actually a healthy day that day because he had kangaroo. But, um, you know, I, I'd go from like really extreme, like full-blown, no food and people would be like oh you look amazing and I'm like I haven't eaten anything to um eating as much as I could to make myself feel sick so um but throughout all of that I was always doing yoga always um and yes I was doing it to lose weight or to be in control of my body but um now having studied so much yoga and the philosophy of yoga I was actually kind of like healing a little bit as well because I was using this ancient practice to nourish not so much necessarily my body but more my emotional health. I hadn't discovered therapy by that stage and so I was really drawn to yoga and I'd be going to yoga workshops, I'd be doing trainings. I started my first yoga teacher training in my 20s. So I feel like there was a spiritual and emotional kind of calling for wanting to figure out a bit more of like why I was doing what I was doing Um a bit more and to figure out I really wanted to, I remember in my 20s, I really wanted to face my ego. That was like a big thing for me. Um, I knew I loved working in media. Like to this day, if you said what's the one thing you do that you love, time stops me when I'm on a film set and I'm on TV sets. I just love it. I love the theatre of it. I love the magic of it. I love that you can create this thing and it can hit you know, people at home watching it and it might inspire them or change them or affect their heart. Like for me, that's why I started acting as well because I think film and television and theatre can hit people's heart. I love that concept. So I've always loved things but like loved what I've done for the right reason but with media comes a bit of celebrity a bit of fame and that is more attached to ego and so I really in my mid-20s wanted to understand the ego and I wanted to figure out why I was doing what I was doing I didn't want to be in it for the wrong reasons I didn't want to be in it for fame I was worried that I was I remember I got asked to a tv segment about Beyonce's latest diet and I got off and I was like, oh, God, I didn't inspire anyone. I started crying and, and that's when I enrolled into yoga teacher training because I thought you've got to figure out your value system. It's a bit out, off kilter right now. And then I started knocking back TV gigs that weren't in line with my values. 
What, what would you say when in facing that difficulty in your life, the, the eating disorder and also the confrontation with this, this, this world of media that can at, be at times be, be really cruel and, and harsh, was you've mentioned kind of yoga and therapy. What were some of the ways you personally changed in the way you related to yourself and to your own suffering that has perhaps benefited you in the long term? What were some of either the, the strategies you used or the strengths you turned to within yourself that allowed you to navigate through that really difficult time? So I definitely did the yogs. Uh, I've dabbled in, like I've trained in all my um, TM meditation and whatnot. But if I'm honest with you, nothing changed until I uh, saw a therapist. Nothing solid changed. I think I would always be battling with eating disorder if I didn't um, have a therapist because, um, and, I, and I'll be honest, I had to try on a couple. Like the, the fit wasn't right straight away and I went to a specialist, in that someone that specialised in eating disorders Uh, when I lived in Sydney and um, I did the full like, you know, the six sessions to really kind of see if I could find the feel and I just was like this isn't the right fit for my personality and it took another year after that to find my therapist who I've now been seeing for three and a half years and I continuously see even now I'm living in a different state. We do Zoom consults um, and it's my non-negotiable now. Uh, To me, my therapist says to me, Lola, let's get you bulletproof. And and through becoming bulletproof, I now like honor my vulnerability. I I love my struggles. Um, they're kind of you kind of asked about like what's the strength I've kind of found it like I have no shame in having an eating disorder now. Um, I had so much shame. Now I'm like, yeah, that was a part of who I was. That was you know, it will probably always be a part of who I am, you know, like I know how I respond to stress and I know where my brain goes and I'm like, oh, time to uh, book in with a therapist again. Like, you know, it's just, uh, and I don't feel any guilt about that at all. I just, I just accept that's kind of like, it's almost like a gift because it teaches me that I'm getting a bit, if I'm getting a bit out of kilter. But yeah, for me, therapy was game changer, absolute game changer, because I had all of my worth attached to my aesthetic look, like weight, the way I looked. I go through a breakup and I had a real pattern of dating narcissists. My therapist like was like, how long do you want to date narcissists for, Lola? Um, I had a huge pattern of it. And then that would then trigger eating disorder stuff as well, because I go through a breakup and I was, oh, maybe I wasn't skinny enough. And I would get so skinny that I look like I could snap. Was, um, I had a really dear friend that was a huge help um, and he was a wonderful help when I um, needed to kind of like, I, again, hadn't discovered therapy yet and I just needed some safe space and I lived with him for a little while and we ate all our meals together, exercised together and it kind of like normalised eating again for me. And he said to me, um, when you date someone, you often bring in a mirror of where you're at. And I was kind of dating all these people that clearly didn't have the right kind of self-worth going on because I didn't have the right kind of self-worth going on. And so, yeah, therapy, game changer. And, and like, as Jad knows, like, we, I, every time I see him, I'm like, I believe that that out of everything, forget career highs and lows, um, it's probably the the thing that's caused the greatest change in my life. I can walk into a business meeting and be so clear within myself and I like who I am and I don't need my validation from any other person in the room. Uh, and I don't mean that in like or like an ego way. I, I mean like as in I just like who I am and I like that I'm real and I know that that's pretty rare, but that's just come from doing the work with therapists, really, I think. So... Lola, I'm curious with the work with a therapist, and you also mentioned the work that you were the personal work that you were doing before that. I mean, do you think the difference is that with this with a therapist, you're in the presence of skill sets that allow you to mine more deeply, more safely? Yeah, and you've got someone that's trained in a um and also like studying acting and studying yoga in depth a lot of people go to both acting and yoga as a form of therapy which is 
kind of cool, but uh, in an acting room it feels super dangerous to me. Like there's a form of acting called method acting, um, which is where you're meant to call upon your darkest pain um, to evoke depth in a role, and I think that's totally unsustainable and I never want to do that. Um, And I've sat in an acting room where I've been asked to drudge up the, you know, pain of like losing a, a family member and I looked bang at the the teachers looked her in the eye in front of a full classroom and I said I have a therapist for this and I'm not willing to do this to myself in this space and the teacher was so angry at me and I thought you are not going to use my pain when I am doing it in a safe way with my therapist so um, for me it's a safe sustainable way of doing it with your therapist my therapist also uses hypnotherapy with me uh, so we do a lot of visualization a lot of hypnotherapy so he's got these skill sets that I don't know how to um, tap into on my own and I love yoga I've done my 500 hours plus of yoga teacher training and I think it's amazing and it's my choice of movement for the body it feels so beautiful to connect the body and the breath but when it comes to dealing with suffering that you go through in your life it's not enough for me like you need someone that can be like let's unpack this and for me I'm only speaking my personal experience you've got someone that's like listen because my brain I'm a ruminator mate I can go over things um for like days and uh, um a therapist can kind of like call you out on your junk pretty quickly, whereas a yoga mat's not going to do that to you, I don't think. It's resonating deeply with me what you're saying, coming from a background uh, of a little bit of acting myself and did a bit of work in TV and also spent time on the yoga mat, really resonates with me what you're saying. I've literally been in rooms watching people go uh, bat guana crazy, <laughs> trying to sort of, uh, the analogy we use in, in MSC is regulating the sort of the gas tap. You know, and I've experimented with the gas tap myself in the absence of a safe landscape and skill sets Oh boy, that can go that can go terribly wrong. You know, you can turn into Shia LaBeouf or whatever his name is. Um, you know, it's an interesting landscape, Lola. Like these playing with these emotions and sort of, you know, trying to regulate that gas tap. Wow. Yeah. Why do you think so many actors have got like substance abuse problems? Like, there's a if you don't know how to handle and and process and manage suffering and pain, and you're living in that for a role, like. The classic example is like Heath Ledger when he did Joker um, and medicating and, and whatnot. And you research like actors that are method acted actors that have um, a lot of them have taken li- their, their lives or they're alcoholics or they're very, very unhappy. And I just think I remember um, a game-changing moment for me at acting school was there was one teacher that I knew was really anti-method acting. For people listening, method acting is that. Yeah, I call it pain acting, but it's like evoking the the, the worst thing that's ever happened to you and um, in your real life. And he's very anti it. He's British cha- trained, and he's very much like you're in a scene, you've got an objective, and you're playing an action. Very simple, very sustainable. Almost sounds too simple. And this character, this actor, had to go from irate anger into crying in about like a five second window, and he couldn't do it. He kept stumbling, and the teacher just said shorten your breath mate and it came straight away and I was like what (laughs) you know and I just thought like I've worked with that director where I've had to play do a domestic violence scene and play a a wife that my husband other actor is being really violent with me and um we couldn't get the chemistry right the husband the male character that I were playing opposite each other and the teacher just said stare at each other for 30 seconds and breathe at the same rate as one another, then start your scene. Game changer. You're in tune with another human just breathing with them for half a minute. When I learned that, I was oh, this is so sustainable. It's an interesting landscape, isn't it, in terms of opening up? I've seen it with acting and actors before. The opening isn't necessarily so difficult, but it's like, okay, dude, you better make sure that you close that 
uh, before you, you know, go off and grab a carrot from catering or, you know, return in, into your daily lives. You know, it's an interesting reference that you bring. And you're right, you know, the Stella Adler method. I, I doubt that Stella Adler was a psychologist and uh, I've seen a lot of seen a lot of actors effectively move into that landscape. And it was a theory of mine that perhaps the self-medication was was their method for trying to, to, to attempt to close. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. But my gosh, you brought up another popular word for our podcast is the breath. You know, one of the, you know, probably one of my favorite of the limbs, you know, uh, the breath. Wonderful because we've always got it with us. Jad and I have talked about before how sometimes a lot of the formal and I'm holding up quote fingers, <laughs> the formal methods of, of meditation and mindfulness practice, they're absolutely fantastic. However, they're not necessarily an accessible intervention under duress in the meat grinder. When you're having an argument with your partner, you can't necessarily say, oh, look, I'm just going to go and whip, whip out a quick uh, salute to the sun, or I'm just going to go and meditate for 25 minutes when my children are you know, yelling at me. But what I do have with me is, is my breath. So yeah, this the point to my seemingly pointless tangent here, Lola, is how do you use your breath in moments of duress? Oh. Great question. I've got to be blatantly honest with you. My boyfriend is so much better at breath work than me, but I'm a, I've just found a book that everyone's posting about Instagram. I'm going to order it. And um, I, the way that I use breath is through pranayama so, uh, or pranayama. Um, so um, after yoga, I'll sometimes do a little bit of like left nostril, right, you know how you block one nostril, breathe in exhale and you, you block, I don't know. I'm saying this so bogan and wrong, but um so alternate nose breath I love breathing, it. alternate nose breathing, um, and so you switch nostrils. Um, and then the other one that I love that work, I've got two that I just, if I'm nervous before a meeting or I'm doing a screen test for an audition and I'm like, oh, I'm not in my body, I'm not connected to my breath because actors aren't connected to their breath, you can see it straight away. Um, so two I do, one is I love box breathing, which is the inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four, and I'll do that four times. And then the other one, if I don't have any time and I'm just like, uh, uh, I need to calm the F down and because I'm a warrior, um, is I'll just like inhale and then extend my exhale. So like inhale for like three or four, do like a five to six count exhale and then try and hold that that at the end of that exhale. But usually that's the simplest one that kind of just, brings you back down to earth i find get your uh, get your parasympathetic on that's wonderful it's an interesting thing though that that breath is always there with us what an interesting observation that you're already making i'm, I'm hearing you bring your other fields of knowledge into this acting it fascinates me to hear you say that actors aren't connected to things like that that's uh that surprises me yeah, I mean, I, I forget when I do um, acting school, though I've got a whole career under my belt. I'm 10 years older than everyone, so um, I'll get there early and do my son salutes and do yogs before I step forward into an acting room because I want to be connected to my body. I want to, um, like in the scene I was talking about where I had a domestic violence scene, my character was super sexy and I was like, far out. i got to be connected to this body. I need to be able to harness energy. I can't, it's not just my head that's acting, you know, I need to understand. And for me, like the moment I I put this, I was really nervous before I put the scene up and I put this dress on that made me feel really feminine and I connected to my breath. I'd, I'd done yoga that morning. I knew that was my key into the character. And yeah, for me, it's, it's acting isn't just like learning your lines. That's like the easiest bit. It's, 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 um, it's almost like having an admiration for the person, like an honour for the person that you're playing as well, the character. And then, yeah, you've got to have control of your body, control of your breath. Most importantly, you've got to have control of your psychology. Once any successful career, period, get a therapist. It's the point that I've just written a new book and my publishers are like, you've mentioned that you have a therapist 65 times. Do you want to rein that in a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pro-therapy life that's a nice little segue into the question i had burning which was 
years ago when when you you and I you know became friends again as, as adults and um and you're exploring perhaps seeing a therapist there was, you had a lot of reluctance and, and concern about that and I was wondering you know as a take home for um, people listening who maybe are struggling with either disordered eating or body image or that sort of thing and they might also be a little scared of um, taking the next step. What what advice would you have for them? What would be you know how how should they approach things from your your experience? You know, I know not, none of us here are experts on eating disorders, and there's all sorts of ways you can approach this problem. But from your first hand experience, what how did you know what steps should people take, and and what might they be a bit scared of? Awesome question. Because I always saw therapy as a weakness. So I resisted therapy for about two years. Um, but the moment I stepped foot into that room, I felt like, oh, this is, this is what I need. This is what I need on every level. So don't ever see it as a weakness, see it as a superpower, see it as just um, learning who you are as a human being. And the more you understand yourself, the more capable you are of like acing life. Like life is short. Don't you want to enjoy it? That's kind of my two cents. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, Jad and I have often discussed how we need to shift the way we look at these sorts of things. We tend to look at a lot of mental health stuff with a deficit lens and why not look at it as a skill acquisition sort of a process? Quite often when I've taught mindfulness and mindful self-compassion, I'll mention to my students that we often have spent more time reading bloody IKEA catalogues than we have gaining an insight into how our mind works. Totally. This is going to sound really um, snobby. My boyfriend and I both have a therapist and we both have since the moment we started dating each other separately, like we both had already been seeing a therapist. Um, this other person I dated, I was like, oh, um, it was just not right. And it was really, um, he had a lot of his own mental battles going on. And my therapist said, I'd like you to tell him that you're seeing a therapist. And I was like, oh, why would that be an issue? And he's like, just do me a favour and do it. And the guy was this like look washed over his face and I could tell it was that kind of like negative thought pattern around. The difference was when I then started dating Matt and told him, he said, oh, I find that so attractive. And I think um, we both say now like um, you can see when people have done work on their mental health. It's a richer experience of life. I know I say, I said before, it's like a superpower, but it is and it's... uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like choosing to look after your mental health will bring you so much more than helping you face something that happened when you were six years old. I I just think it's so much more than that. It's more like you get to figure out who you are and what you really want and what ignites you. Therapy creates a space for you to discover all of that and more. That's why I love it. It's game changer. Yeah, you can spend your life concerned and potentially under the duress of worrying about what if, or you can do some of the things that you're talking about and move into a space of what is. Mm, totally, totally. So cool. And I think it's I think it's an awesome idea, quite honestly, each having your therapy space. Why mess about? Like you said, life is too short. It's a malaise that we have on the way we view the whole therapeutic process. It definitely should be viewed as an attribute. It's like you go to the gym to work on your body. You go and work with a nutritionist to work out what you're putting in the machine. My Lord, this is potentially the biggest influence on how you experience the the world. Uh, Why wouldn't you go and work with a specialist in that landscape? And that's how Jad convinced me to see a therapist he (laughs) said to me you do yoga for your body you eat really well what about gym for your brain Lola and I was like oh I've never looked at it like that and that's what I'll tell people as well now I'm like like this is we've got to look after the brain and and also like I don't want to sound mean here, but there's a lot of dingoes in the world and that's my word for dickheads. And um, I just think like it's too, you don't want to hang out. You just want to do good work, be a good person, be around the good ones. And when you've started to work on yourself, you can see other people that are also working on themselves. And it's so nice to be 
around those people. Like Jad and I have had a very long-standing friendship. We'll talk after, you know, a couple of months and it's like nothing has changed because we have such a solid friendship and respect and we also work on our psychology all the friggin' time. <laughs> I hope. Is that right, Jad? Have I said that right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly an advocate for therapy. Being a therapist myself, I'm perhaps a little biased, but, um, <laughs> but I certainly, you know, it's something I, I, get, I get weekly. And, I, and I've used that analogy often with, um, with clients, particularly at the start, is it's, it's a little bit like seeing a personal trainer in that, you know, you, if you're wanting to get, you know, get your body in good tip-top shape, you, you might see a personal trainer or, or to understand how your body works, you might see a personal trainer. But similarly to seeing a personal trainer, there's times where you come out of the session where you feel, you feel sore, you wonder why you're doing this, you're wondering why you're wasting your money and, you know, it can be you, you, you ache for a few days afterwards and then other times you come out and you feel fantastic and you're full of energy and you feel stronger and, 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 you know, seeing a, a counsellor or a therapist, psychologist can be a similar sort of thing. Sometimes you'll unpack things, you'll come out feeling a little bit bruised, you'll come out feeling a little bit sore, you'll be like, why am I why am I doing this? I kind of feel worse than before. But as long as there's in the process, you're kind of strengthening your ability to encounter that difficulty and understand yourself better and then make, you know, choices around that that, that lead you to a, you know, a richer, more meaningful kind of life, a values-based life. I think, you know, it's it's the, the analogy is, not perfect, but there's certainly there's some commonalities there. Um, a little bit maybe Lola about there's some parallels I guess between the concept of our show talking about suffering in life and and skills we use to to encounter that in an, a, a kind of sort of way. Your your podcast fearlessly failing. Do you want to maybe sort of briefly talk about what inspired you to to do that to to tap into the idea that that failure is a really important part of success or or however you want to put it. Well, first of all, Jad was one of my first um, guests on the podcast. Just got to do a little shout out. <laughs> <laughs> We've done a whole Mindfulness Fridays um, special as well. Uh, the reason why it exists is because I love failure. And um, it, they say, the, I read somewhere, the most successful people look forward to failing because it's a chance to grow. It's a chance to find their flaws. It's a chance to find the holes in their psyche or in their method whatever it is and I don't ever want to live with regret and and that might be a really full-on thing to say but um I'd rather fail mazillion times and know that I've given that thing a try or chased that dream or you know um gone after something that scared the living daylights out of me so the reason why the podcast exists because, is because I think we need to celebrate failure, much like this podcast is celebrating the suffering and the pain that we go through. Uh, and then I think we often talk about um, what comes, like what the lesson is and the goodness that kind of comes from that failure or what you learn about yourself and then it ends up being a celebration of the guest to the point that I get negative feedback sometimes that I just celebrate the guests too much and I'm like well that's so cool because these people are self-made they've gone after this dream like we've had Olympians and actors and you know wonderful Jad on there and it's just like these people have been brave enough to do that thing that lights up their heart and that's why the podcast exists I just want to it's it's also selfish. I really want to learn from people. <laughs> yeah. Again, we have parallels. We're interested in the relationship through the application of skill sets to to suffering. It sounds to me, Lola Berry, that your relationship to fear has shifted. Can you can you talk a little more about that? I'm I'm you've piqued my interest. It it doesn't sound as if you're ignoring fear and it sounds like you're certain, certainly acknowledging it. I don't think you're being avoidant um, or looking away. I'm hearing that your relationship to it has changed. I feel like I'm in a therapy session. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I definitely feel fear and I know when I do, um, but I... It's not that I don't, I'm, I, I'm afraid. I definitely know that I get afraid, but I love the feeling on the other side of that afraid thing uh, that comes from it and I feel like 
that is kind of like my little light that I've got to do a few things this year that I'm really scared of. And one of my bucket list things, um, I really want to swim. This isn't something's happening this year, but one of my bucket list things is I really want to swim free dive in Norway uh, with orca whales. It's one of my goal lists. Now, we're talking pitch black water. Orca whales haven't killed humans in the wild, but they're capable, we know, uh, and I just really want to free dive with them. I've never free dived in my life, um, but that's something and I've got a photo of it on my phone. I'm just like I, and I watch um, people free dive with orca whales all the time. I'm quite obsessed to the point that I've spent full-blown therapy sessions talking about orca whales alone uh, and cried. I couldn't figure out why I was crying. <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, <laughs> I think... Fear is something that is there, but I'm also like, and and the acting training has shown me what's on the other side of fear recently. So it feels very visceral when I talk about it. But like, even for me, when I put this scene up and I had to have a very strong Southern accent, American Southern accent, and I wasn't confident with it. And, but I gave over, I let the fear, like I felt the fear. And I, I remember I really just, I gave over to the experience and I got out. I said to the director straight after, I said, I could feel electricity running through my body. And I said, and I said, the moment it changed was when I let go of my mind and came from my heart. And I don't know if there's something in heart space and fear. I don't know. But um, I, I feel fear, but I'm not afraid to feel fear, if that makes sense. That's. Absolutely makes sense, hundred percent. So, uh, second part of the question, <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just genuinely curious. Would you say that the relationship to fear, the shift, is more attributable to kind of exposure therapy to it, or the acquisition and application of skill sets? Because I'm hearing both from you, and it's really interesting. Uh I'd have to say it's definitely both, definitely, definitely both. Uh, but the exposure thing has happened recently and I think that's why I'm excited by fear now. Um, and I just know I've got some really big things I've got to do. But, like, even recently I had to sit in a meeting um, to get an acting agent and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I had five rejections before I sat in this meeting and I just walked in and I was like, What's the worst thing that can happen? Like 10 minutes of like, can we sign you? And so I've done the work. So I know who I am and I'm willing to like keep my heart open in this scenario so you can really see who I am. Nice. Nice. Now, you said the H word, the heart. That is automatically going to make Jad and I curious and we need to introduce the C word. Uh, where do you think compassion fits into this journey? So the compassion thing, Jad will know I struggle with a little bit, the compassion thing. To be completely open, um, Jad is my boyfriend's naturopath and he has um, got Matt listening to a, a mindful self-compassion meditate. Is that right? But a soothe, what is it, Jad? Uh, well, there's a few. I think you um, you guys have listened. Well, Matt, Matt's a very diligent student. Matt, Matt. <laughs> Matt certainly has listened to all of the meditations. He's much better at the meditations than I am, which I've freely shared with him as well and, and, and with Mike before. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there's quite a few. Go, Matt. <laughs> Matt's on the mat. Um, yeah, they're, they're self-compassion-based meditations. So there's, yeah, soft and soothe allow. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. Soft and soothe. So I would do it with him. New Year's Day, he's like, come on, bring the new year in, do the meditation with me. I was like through gritted teeth I was like yeah okay um and I like I'll usually do my like tick list for the day during the meditation which I know I'm not meant to do I actually did do that one properly I will admit but um but compassion I'm an a-type personality I'm very hard on myself um and I am a Virgo so I harshly in the past have been very self-critical not so much that way anymore, probably through therapy and giving less of a um, crap about what other people think of me. But um, the compassion and going easy on myself, um, Matt's probably brought that a lot into my life because I'm go, 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 100%. Even today I was like a bit, 
I was just a bit tired today and so I kind of took it easy this afternoon and I was like, oh, my God, I haven't been productive enough. So that's still something I've got to work on because I'm go, 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 burn out, go, 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 go. But nowadays I'm less burnouty and can catch myself a little bit sooner. But the compassion, um, I'm so good at having it for my clients because I still practice as a nutritionist, but I'm pretty shitty at having it for myself. But I think my boyfriend probably, I've got to give him some credit because um, he's really mindful and he's very, very present and he's really good at um, grounding me when I get into like, ah mode like go 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 which is still within me like jad will know jad jad's nickname for me used to be a shark and i think it still is because a shark will die if they stop moving and jad always called me a shark (laughs) yeah well there's still definitely that dynamic kind of energy going on within you which is you know part of i think what everybody loves about you um I was thinking back, just back to how I knew you at the start of our sort of friendship versus now, and I think some of that compassion has crept in. It's just perhaps there's a a sense of you seeing compassion as being soft on yourself rather than being, you can still hold yourself to a really high standard, but do it in a kind way, in a way that's, I want what's best for me versus I'm not good enough. And I think there's my observation anyway, and perhaps I'm speaking out of turn on a podcast here, but I've seen a definite shift in you between I'm not good enough, I'm ugly, I, you know, da-da-da, to I want what's best for me, I'm going to be the best version of myself I can be, and I am going to push myself hard. But I think, you know, it's it's and, and we're all at stages in that of process of learning when to push hard and when to sometimes, you know, give ourselves a little bit of rest and a little bit of a break. And it's and it's hard to find that line sometimes when we when we also have high standards for ourselves, which you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's the way we approach it. And that's something, you know, I've observed in you is that there is there is a little bit of kindness and compassion creeping into the way that you perhaps uh, <laughs> talk about yourself in private. Oh, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm definitely less... I, uh, Jad mentioned body image earlier and I, I used to have a lot of body dysmorphia as well, kind of went hand in hand with coming out of an eating disorder. But now I don't have any of that. And I think that's probably that like kindness of like, dude, you're so freaking healthy, so stop worrying, you know, and I, I can bring that back even into my career. But I think there's something that comes with your career when you do a career in media or creativity and then you have a therapist to help you understand your value system, your psychology, and then you open, you feel safe enough to open your heart. It's like this wonderful little matrix where it's rare when people see it. So they're like, oh, you've got the thing. And I'm like, no, I'm just comfortable opening my heart. I think that's kind of what's, I don't know, that's just my thing that I think works. Yeah, awesome, awesome. It's interesting, kids, and I can call you both kids because I'm significantly older. He does his best Sir Ian McKellen voice, Frodo. (laughs) It's one of those things where compassion, what I've noticed as I walk around this thing called Earth in a body I call me, is that compassion, it appears and it manifests in many different ways. And it's very interesting. Obviously, I do not know you as well, Lola Berry, but... I hear you making a lot of compassionate choices. I hear you doing things for yourself that um, I just think are kind. You know, obviously, Jad and I can come across as self-compassion zealots, but it's a wonderful thing for our listeners to hear that compassion also is about, you know, you said this afternoon, you felt you were tired, so you gave yourself a break. That my good dudes, is self-compassion in action. It's a lovely ongoing exploration in this podcast to hear other people's versions or translations of self-compassion. So thank you so much for, for the insights because it's, yeah, it's genuinely very interesting. I'm, le- I'm the one learning so much from this podcast. I want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anytime, dude, anytime. <laughs> Well, it does sound like it's a good note to end the show on. And um, Mike and I want to thank you, Lols, for spending some time with us this afternoon. And, and, you know, it's 
I think it's an act of compassion for others to be able to share your story with vulnerability and openness because it gives others the permission to know they're just like, you know, we're all just humans. We're all just, you know, these naked apes walking around and we've we've got hopes and dreams and, and problems and concerns. And and I think it's refreshing to hear that, you know, that, that you can be open and vulnerable about that. And also, you know, like you've you've achieved a lot in your life and done some really amazing things. And I think that that's, that's inspiring in itself. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, where can people find you, Lola, and follow more of your adventures in life uh first of all honor to be here thank you both so much we're doing it all via zoom because i've just moved to byron bay so i appreciate you um getting me on the pod i cannot wait to consume this podcast as a listener because i've just learned so much in this chat i can't wait to listen to all your other combos um but yes, for I'm all I'm all over Instagram, Yamo Lola Berry. Uh, I've got a book coming out in October in Australia, uh, which is really Ooh. exciting. And I yeah, and I'm opening up about my mental health journey, which is frigging exciting. <laughs> um, it's not a recipe book. Um, and I yeah, and I just yeah, I've got a cool coffee company with medicinal mushrooms in it called Lola Coffee. That's it. Oh, <laughs> we, yeah, we need to get Mike to try some. I'll send some down. I'll send some down. Yes. Yes. Love love the Lola coffee. <laughs> awesome. Mike, have you got anything else you wish to share or uh I guess two things. Yeah, say hello to Hemsworth for me. Oh, do you want to be the goss? <laughs> yes. Who says no to goss? <laughs> um, I went to a, we've just talked about mindfulness and compassion. I'm like, do you want some gossip? Um uh, I went to a retreat, beautiful retreat lunch on Sunday, so two days ago, and um, the food was incredible and was curated by the Hemsworth chef. And I, because I had to give my food, um, like, get it, put my food, I can't eat gluten. And I was just like, yeah, I can eat anything but not gluten. And the chef does not cook with gluten ever. So the Hemsworths are gluten-free too. There you go. There's a bit of goss. <laughs> I, I genuinely would not imagine uh, that Thor would consume gluten as a as a Marvel fan myself. Totally. That guy's paleo. He can put up with it a lot. Yeah, not gluten, no. <laughs> the only other point, Jad, is I, I, I'm very excited about the fact that we're going to know an actor who uh, isn't an asshole. <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> Thank you, Lola Berry. So, so lovely to talk with you. Ah, thanks so much, guys. Total honor.